0: Bike Karma Bicycle Stories podcast is brought to you with support from The Frame and Wheel, helping you turn your cycling items into cash without the hassle, and AD Bikes, the modern face of Ostra Daimler Bicycles. Become bike, become AD Bikes. Hello and welcome to episode 46 of the Bike Karma Bicycle Stories podcast. I'm your host, Tom Brown. The mission of the show is to bring together bicycle-loving people from around the world through sharing stories. This time on the show, we go from art to animals to Mrs. Bike Karma doing a reading of historical propaganda. You have a lot of podcasts you can choose from, so I really appreciate you coming along for the ride on mine. And this episode has been a long time in coming. So let's roll out. There's a lot going on in the world right now. Bicycles are certainly not the most important thing in life, but that is what the show is about. I want to continue to bring you stories from around the world about bicycles and cycling in order to make positive connections between humans. All that world is still there, even though it has been eclipsed by some major disturbances. Knowing that there is so much else going on for people, I want to acknowledge the struggle but also provide just a brief break from the struggle for listeners who want that. So whatever is causing your problems right now, the pandemic, politics, health, income, your roommates, or all of the above, I wanna validate what you may be going through right now and sincerely hope that the situation improves for you as soon as possible. By continuing to share stories about cycling, I hope I'm helping a little, if only indirectly, So many of us find comfort in riding, wrenching, and collecting bikes and the friendships we make in doing those activities. This is a tough stretch, and I hope you come through it as good as possible. I appreciate you coming along for the ride with me on this podcast. Let's keep rolling. So from the outside, the art world can be a pretty messed up place to me. It's not the intrinsic value of the art. It's attribution. Who did that? When did they do that? There was a guy who sold a banana, duct taped to a wall for several thousand dollars. And to me, that just makes no sense. And yet, there's beautiful art being made out there. I came across some amazing art, which to me truly captures what it feels like to be on a ride. And I got to talk to the person who made it.
1: There are magical moments in so many rides, and I guess that's what led me to, to capture some of my experiences in artwork, is taking some of those moments and make sketches and bring them together in a composition that means something particularly to me. And Unfortunately, my experiences are not unique. We all experience those magical moments where nature um, touches our lives whilst we're riding the bike. Yeah, it's great. Those special moments, I think they are they are what keep us going out, aren't they, in, in many ways. I mean, the, the physical activity of cycling is great, but it's the experience, isn't it? The feeling that it creates within you and the fact that you find yourself or you lose yourself on those rides. And they don't need to belong. We don't need to cross countries. You can find those moments riding around your hometown, can't you? Hi, I'm I'm Dave Flickroft. I live in France. I've lived here for 10 years, and I'm a cyclist who also creates art. I live in an area where people have walked and travelled for centuries and over those periods using the same roots time after time, the uh, the, the roots have worn through uh, footfall and uh, wheels. Currently, they're used by hunters' vehicles and agricultural vehicles, and it continues to wear the the root away. So they're quite shallow um, grooves in the land, uh, typically edged by trees, which also form a tunnel as the branches join together above. Above the, the route. And they create really spectacular rides. At any time of year, uh, they're particularly charming. Uh, In summer, we get, like, I guess where you are, we get really fiercely hot summers. Particularly if you're in July, August, September. And going into the, uh, into the forest along these tracks, which are green, filled with green tunnels, is quite special. It's cooling and refreshing and often very silent apart from the noise of your wheels as you roll along. What is your favorite cycling story? I guess most of my favorite my favourite cycling stories are when I'm riding a tandem with Sue, my wife, and would normally be on a bike tour a long, long way from home where we're discovering totally new scenery and seeing things for, for the first time. There's something quite special and magical about that. Normally, uh, we've ridden all over France. I could talk about one in uh, uh, one of my favorite longer distance rides uh, across Scotland, 600 years. I'm not sure whether it's still run. It's called the Daylight 600. It sets off from the 4th uh, the Road Bridge, goes over the Firth of Forth, and directly west across Scotland, and it's called the Daylight 600 because it's run typically late May, early June when the sun hardly sets at all. There's probably only one or two hours of full darkness from two till four in the morning. Um, There's something quite special and magical about riding through the night and into a dawn. On that particular ride, you cross uh, a ferry called the Corran Ferry that takes you onto a peninsula, and on the last occasion that I rode it, the weather was absolutely fine, and the sea lock that we crossed was calm on a ferry, and then rode round the peninsula ineffectively effectively a, a sea mist where you could actually taste the salt on your lips. Spectacular, absolutely spectacular scenery and a wonderful, wonderful journey.
2: What you do is you capture the feeling of the ride in a way that, you know, a picture can't.
1: Well, I feel the kind of you to say, so um, thanks I guess it's because well I'm a cyclist and I guess I've been making sketches during my bike tours and for for decades for years and years I've got sketchbooks full of those those little moments whether they're little cartoonish sketches where Sue and I on a tandem tour have got caught in a hail shower or is it you can see or crossing a plane and see the the sun coming and trying to get. The, uh, the rain cape on just in time, we're getting caught at the moment that the storm hits. You can never capture those moments, on a, in my opinion, on a camera. Um, but Just the little sketches that you might be able to make will, as you look through a journal or a diary of a holiday, will just capture that moment in a way that words seldom do. and You would miss the opportunity on a camera. And, it, and, it, and I guess it's through... Those moments and little cartoonish sketches that I've made over the ta- over years that have evolved and maybe now and then uh, capture a capture a feeling and can communicate a feeling that I experience that resonates with uh, with a viewer and it's great to be able to share that. There's that connection between us all and. I would say uh, 100% of my customers are cyclists, or buying for a cyclist, but they're generally cyclists themselves, and and it, and it's great. Uh, it's such a compliment that I works. So I only work on a small scale. Um, I don't create lots and lots uh, of, of prints or all small editions, but the fact that uh, there's something very special about someone wanting to buy a piece of art that you create. And I guess whether it, whether it's a book, a piece of music, listen to a podcast, we all put our heart and soul into the craft or the art that we that we make. With an image, a painting or a print, the line of print as I make, and someone's choosing to hang that image on their wall. They'll see it every day. They may look at it every day and and to, to me that, that, that really is every time someone buys something whether it's a small piece or a larger piece that is such a compliment because a book gets put on a shelf uh, music is listened to occasionally but a piece of art that someone chooses to hang in their home is there on the wall every day that they pass it uh, and they'll see it and have a look at it and it will just trigger something so it, it really is. For anyone um, to buy something, it's such a compliment, really. And it it motivates you to do more, obviously. It's really encouraging. Okay, so in in creating a print... Broadly, um, the way I, the way I do it, there are, there are two broad styles that I use. One is black and white, and another is it, the other is color. And whilst the medium is the same, that it's um, using a piece of lino, uh, a, vinyl, uh a, a material to gouge, uh, to gouge and carve away, very much like a wood block, but it's softer and easier to to manipulate and carve, um, the actual techniques are different. Both techniques start with a sketch and or a drawing, and people who are keen on art are always sketching and doodling away. Um, so building an image into a drawing or a composition is stage one, uh, typically on either a large piece of paper or sketch pad. The second decision will be whether it's going to be a colour or a black and white image. I'll talk about the black and white images that uses, I would transfer the drawing. So using a piece of tracing paper, trace my drawing and rub it onto uh, very much like you did at school by applying pressure to the back of the tracing paper, put the pencil marks onto the lino. So what that does is obviously creates a mirror image of the design. So you're working in reverse. From that point. And then I cut away the uh, sort of black and white. Obviously, you start with a piece of lino, or if you think about a, a solid surface like a piece of wood, and every time you use very sharp tools specifically made for wood carving or for, for lino cutting. Okay, lino or linoleum, when lino printing started or became particularly popular. Back in the 1920s to 30s, people used floor linoleum. You know, the floor covering and pieces of that. So that kind of oil cloth or um, a Hessian backed uh, material. How would I describe it now? So we don't use floor coverings anymore. You can buy artist grade linoleum. It's Hessian backed. It's about three millimeters thick uh gray very flat smooth um material which is very very smooth matte typically the stuff i use is is gray colored but equally you can get brown colored or i know in america they sell a pink soft cut material which is easier to gouge and cut very popular very popular in the States, uh, amongst uh, amongst artists, is the, the lino cutting. Um, yeah. Every time you gouge your piece of wood away or make a line or make a mark in the surface of the lino, that mark will show as white, because ultimately we're going to roll ink over the lino and wherever you cut away, there will be no ink. Going on that, uh, on that gap that you've created. So the challenge with a black and white piece of work is lino cutting doesn't particularly, it's not, not particularly, it's not the right medium to create a line drawing. If you want a line drawing, draw it with a pencil or with pen and ink or something like that. In my opinion, lino isn't a great medium for creating lines. So you create your shapes like a cyclist or a tree by the way that a black area meets a white area. So you're making patterns and shapes that actually form your ultimate picture. And so if you look at some of the black and white work that I've done, the cyclist will be formed through gouging the shape of the cyclist out rather than outlining the individual, if you're with me. It's rare that I just use a a lined outline. Once the cutting away of the lino has been, has complete, I'll use a roller and some special inks for block printing. So the, like an oil paint, but a a particular consistency, which is suitable for using with a a rubber roller. Roll it over the lino and then pass that through a big mangle type press if you will. You can think of a, a mangle that you would have been back in the old days, dry clothes through. Essentially, an etching press has got a big steel roller uh, with a big winding handle on that you wind the, the line over the piece of paper over it through applying constant pressure. And once it comes through the other side, pull the paper away and the ink is transferred to the paper. And there you are, you've made one print, black and white print. Quite often, through the cutting-away process, it's necessary to ink up and have a little look at how things are progressing, because really you're cutting away and you're not absolutely certain at any stage what the final image is going to look like until you apply ink to the lino block and press a piece of paper onto that. So quite often, as you progress through the lino cutting, it's necessary to roll a little bit of ink on and have a quick look and make sure that you're able to correct any mistakes that you would have made or whatever. But when you cut a piece of lino away, you can't put it back in. So there's an aspect of jeopardy in uh, in the lino cutting. It's rare that, that, that I ruin a piece of lino, but it's quite often that I need to adapt my initial design to the gaps that I've created. I've always talked about making a colour print subtly different. Again, you start with sketches transferred, traced, and then transferred onto a piece of lino. And I will usually have made a, a watercoloured sketch so I can visualise the colour schemes that I'm looking for when I come to print. There are different ways to create colour lino cuts, but my usual way is called a a reduction print. So you apply one layer of colour each time. You start with... And that's the reason why I I need to have a colour reference sketch or drawing so that I can imagine. Generally, I will print from the lightest colour to the darkest colour in layer after layer after layer. So at the moment, I'm making a print, a night ride with a cyclist, passing an old english telephone box and the telephone box is lit and has got some very bright colors and vibrant colors there's some white in it there's some yellow some orange obviously the telephone box is is, is red but the red has different shades within it and then the night the light from within the telephone box casts onto the grass outside so we've got some greens uh, artificially lit green lights around the letterbox and then the cyclist has got a red light on it, uh, showing on the bike. he has got it's, uh, the, the front light illuminating a dark road. And again, there's characteristic tree tunnel effects with a starlit sky ahead. Now, to create that piece of work, uh, which they're working on, the first colour, there's white there. So before I print anything, I will gouge out the tiny little bits of the image that I want to remain white I then rolled yellow a light yellow ink on the on the lino and printed um Amy for around a, an edition of 25 of this particular print so I roll ink onto the onto the block print a piece of paper so it's got a small bit of yellow on it hang that up and do that around 30 times to get the 25 good prints so once we've done that I then need to print an orange over. So I need to decide which part of the image do I want to remain yellow now and cut out those areas. I'll then ink orange onto the block and print the 30 pieces of paper again. Ink, print, ink, print 30 times. So I've now got the white showing in the telephone box, the yellow showing in the telephone box, and the orange of reflection I'll then decide okay which parts do I want to now re- remain orange cut out those areas and I print a light red same process and then cut out the areas I want to remain light red the next area is going to be a darker more uh, more shaded red so I print a darker red and now I've got the basic colors of the brightness of the telephone box on a piece of paper The next stage is to move into the nighttime colors. So the dark grays, the light to dark grays and then blacks and build light gray, cut out the areas that I want to remain, that light gray and then dark gray. So it's a progression until you've finished the image and that image will finish with a very deep, heavy black with a nice starlit sky. So the whole process may require... 15 to 20 separate layers of color being added to each print through the process. And in between each of those layers, some more gouging away of the lino to create the gaps that allow the color to show through the next layer of color.
0: I mean, this process is really intense. It has a lot of steps to it and requires a lot of skill. But the thing that surprises me the most is that the ride still comes through the feelings that he wants to evoke when he starts off to make the piece come right through as you look at the piece. When I look at his work, I'm right out there on the ride with him.
1: Well, I think the feeling has to be captured. So the feeling is captured in the actual subject matter and the initial drawings. So the composition is predefined by your drawings and sketches. The quality of the printing appears as you add layers of colour, and occasionally I'm tweaking the layers of colour. So sometimes I may print a colour halfway through making a print and it just isn't right. And so, but all isn't lost because I can print a different layer of colour on that. You can't remove the colour, but you can adapt. So, our things are only fixed on the image once something's been cut away and then it's fixed in the image. So, I guess. I mean, I guess we experience as the years go by and the hours go by, perfecting sort of the line up process. I guess that's the essential part is, is, I guess, practice, like as in anything.
2: I really like your art. You know, I really do. Um, and the one that I got was called Owl Encounter. Yeah. Is there a
1: story behind that one that you could talk about? Yeah, uh, there is. Yes, the owl was in in France probably less than less than a mile from home i cycle a lot i live in the in, in some beautiful countryside just on the edge of a forest and often ride just at dawn or at dusk is a good time to ride to see the wild animals uh, around here particularly lots of deer and occasionally wild boar and one particular evening just as the sun was setting i was riding home along the track through a forest very much like a we call them a hollow way back in the UK and there was an owl a barn owl flew right over my head and it had prey in its claw and the light was just sufficient that you could see the owl and it was a really fleeting moment and as you know if you see if you encounter an owl like that they are totally silent it's almost ghostly the way that they glide above you um and like so much of my art, these uh, the, the encounters with wildlife or fleeting visions—you never have your camera ready to capture that moment. And that's the beauty of being able to work up a sketch to catch, that, capture that moment, and then use it later in uh, to, to make a piece of art. Uh, there are some pieces of work that I've done which. Capture the feeling for me Um, And there's an excitement when you pull the You know, you pull the paper back off the printing block And you see the image develop Layer by layer by layer Initially you can't see much of the image at all But as you add layers Through the process You can start to see the image arriving And the contrast in the colours I've been doing this thing kind of seriously, I suppose, for the last six years, really. Uh, before that, I was purely dabbling. And I guess uh, some of my favourite pieces, I love the owl uh, that, you, that you're talking about. The night rides, uh, I particularly, I, I enjoy riding at night. I don't ride acts events anymore, but I've ridden so many of those where we've ridden in groups through the night. I, I do like to try to capture the night ride moments where you, you share that special moment, but generally the the feelings that I'm trying to capture have got wildlife in them, you know. And there's one particular picture that I, that I like. I, I ride tandem with another couple of couples out here, so quite often uh, the three tandems riding around and the colours of the Sharon where I live with the sunflowers through the summer uh, are just stunning. And there's one particular where, where I, one particular picture where I have three tandems descending into a valley, but in the foreground is a hen harrier hunting a little harvest mouse in in a field, and it's very resonant of a particular area that we ride in often, and the colours of the countryside that I live in. So I think that was the first time that I did a particularly, for me, a a large piece of work, and it captures a moment and a ride experience with friends in a unique way uh, for me, but the actual bicycles uh, are barely evident in, in the work. It's the moment of seeing, of when you're riding through beautiful scenery and you glance up and you can see a hawk, a hen harrier is a, like a hawk, that glides in a particularly graceful way over a long grass field and hovers and then its wings fold and plunges down into into the long grass to to get its prey and again those are the moments that are just quite magical uh, to see and experience but very difficult to capture in any other in any other medium other than uh, creating a painting or picture or drawing of it Um, so yeah i guess i get a little thrill of excitement every time I come towards the last one or two layers of color going on a print, if the image starts to appear as my mind's eye would have it at the outset. As as I finish one piece of work, I'm quite keen and enthusiastic to move on to the next one.
2: So when you make a print and you've run off a 25 copies or so, is that for that one forever?
1: Yeah, with, with the reduction print, because effectively you, you destroy the block. So you start by most of the block is being printed, gouged some away, and if you imagine sort of gouging more and more of the lino away between each layer of colour, what you're left with is only a tiny bit of lino left. Nothing, nothing else can be printed from that. It goes in the bin. So the additions uh, of whatever, I think with the, the owl... Print that you, that you mentioned that we talked about initially, Tom. Uh, I think there was there were 18 of those in the edition, uh, and no more can be made. There were, there's always a couple of colour test proofs that I pull through the process to hone it down, but there were 18 which were near enough identical that create the edition. No more can be printed, that's it. Now, each one is effectively well, it's an original piece of work. You know, each one's been created individually by me. Some prints do sell out and, and that's it, they, they're gone. For the, the colour reduction prints, I generally aim for between, between 20 and 30 is what I aim for. Like I said, there are always some which don't make the addition through the production process because I'm, I, I need to tweak the colours to get them right. For the space that I work in, I can't feasibly handle editions, color editions larger than around 30.
2: If people want to go check out and actually see the images of yours, where would they
1: go? The complete gallery is on my Etsy shop. If you search on Etsy art from the bike shed, then you should find links on Google direct to my shop. I have a Facebook page, Dave Flickcroft is Art From The Bike Shed, where I give updates on work that I'm working on. I also update through Twitter and, and Instagram. So on, on all, all of these, such Art From The Bike Shed, on my name, Dave Flickcroft, Art From The Bike Shed, you should find me on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. I should add also, Tom, that shipping is also free all over the world call it a gift from the, uh, the Amazon world I suppose
2: well thank you very much
1: yeah thank you thanks for the opportunity to talk and um, thanks for doing your podcast it's great And what do I do whilst I'm spending the many many hours in my bike shed largely I listen to podcasts and I listen to yours and love it
0: So, it's time for the mid roll thank yous here on the Bike Karma Podcast. First of all, thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. If you want to help the show, one of the easy, no cost ways of doing that is to leave a positive review, share, or follow online. So, a special thank you to Jeff Giardima, Duck Crusher, Mickey Kerr, Eric JB1203, Alan, Two Busy Women, and PG Funa for following on Podbean. And I'd also like to thank Shifted Up Cycles, George from Trader Joe's, and Wesley from the Tell Me About Your Bike podcast for the nice reviews on Apple. Well, you've heard it everywhere else, and yes, I'm going to finally say it Patreon. Yes, like so many podcasters, I now have a Patreon. My kids and my wife told me it's the way to go, and there's not a lot of big companies who are willing to support a small show with a wink and a handshake. For even a dollar a month, you can help support the cost of the show. All you've got to do is go to Patreon and search up Bike Karma. It's relatively easy. You can cancel anytime. So for doing that, a big thank you to Wilson Hoyer, Liz Brown, and Matt Witter. You can follow Matt's Instagram at Rap Bars Forget Cars. That's Rap Bars Forget Cars, and the four is the number four. He's from Texas, and he likes those steel demands too. Patreon's really easy to use, and a lot of people have used it, and it really does take amounts as low as a dollar per month. But if you don't like that kind of thing, you can also do a one time support gift by PayPaling me at paypal.me backslash bike karma one word. So that's paypal.me backslash bike karma one word and a big thank you to David Cantor for doing that. I do have just one more Velo Art Card from the Urban Adventure League, Sean Granton available as a thank you gift at any level, and even after that's gone I can send you a sticker pack. If you forget any of these two ways of supporting the show, or you want to get a hold of me about a story or whatever, you can also just email me at bikekarmaguy at gmail.com at any time and I'll send you the links. I want to thank all the people listening all over the world. I really appreciate it. And if you've shared a story and you're waiting for yours to come out in the queue, I really appreciate your patience. I try and put love into each and every segment. So it does take quite a while as always helping out to support the show. I want to thank Fred Thomas from the frame and wheel and AD bikes. Fred's a good guy with a couple of businesses to help keep you rolling in these
3: strange times. Hi everyone. Fred Thomas here at frame and wheel. I hope you are all safe and well and getting accustomed to your new routine the best you can. It has been a disruptive week for us too, but Frame&Wheel continues to operate because cyclists from all over the country and the world are still making purchases and USPS, FedEx and UPS are still operating. Many bike swaps are cancelled and stay-at-home orders and social distancing requirements make it difficult, risky or impossible to complete a transaction in a parking lot. That is why I want to remind you about the frame and wheel Velo Drone program. This program makes it easy to ship your gear to our facility. If you have a box, but no shipping label, you just tell us the dimensions of your box and we will email the shipping label to you. If you don't have a box or a shipping label, we will ship you a box with a return shipping label on it. All you have to do is get your items into the box and call the carrier To schedule a pickup. The Velodrone program allows you to comply with stay-at-home and social distancing orders and still get your gear to us and ultimately to the market. These are unprecedented times so we are going to be ready to work with you on Velodrone fees. It is the least we can do to help and I'm convinced that if we stop fear from getting the upper hand, listen to our public health officials and help each other out any way we can, We will emerge from this ordeal safely and stronger than before. Stay safe and well, and please reach out to me on social media with any questions. Thank you. All right, thank you, Fred. If you're just
0: sitting around looking for some extra cash from your underused bikes, parts, and or accessories, he can get your stuff listed and sold. So please check out the frame and wheel. Now back to the show. You know, not too long ago, I was at one of my favorite places for mountain biking, and I saw a chicken out in the woods. It kind of walked up to me, and I kind of walked up to it, as you do when you see a chicken in the woods, and we just looked at each other. I had so many questions that the chicken was unwilling or unable to tell me the answers to. How did you get in the woods, chicken? Do you want to come home with me? Are you lost? Are you cool being here by yourself in the woods? But that's basically as far as the conversation got. I did call my wife and say, hey, can I bring a chicken home? And she was like, nope, you'd have to quarantine it and it might bring something back to our other chickens. So probably not. I was like, ah. But I often go back and think about that chicken in the woods and wonder how it got there and why. Recently I talked to Wesley, who does the Tell Me About Your Bike podcast, and he told me about some of the animals he's seen in the woods.
4: Hi, my name is Wes Cheney, and I'm the host of the Tell Me About Your Bike podcast, about the meaning of bikes, the universe, and everything. So I talk with folks about their bike stories, and that's actually what drew me to the Bike Karma Bicycle Stories podcast, was that it was also about bicycles and stories and telling stories through podcasts. Oh, man, my best bike story. There's a lot of bike stories that I've got. Probably um, the funniest one that I've returned to time and again uh, was when I was about 17, and I was working as a dishwasher at a Boy Scout camp in northern Vermont, and I had a morning off, and so I had decided to go for a 30-mile ride, and I was riding by myself, and this was in the days before cell phones, and there was no no cell phone coverage, no, no pay phones to be seen. And I was on a pretty darn remote country road. I was seeing a car maybe every five or ten minutes. And I came around a corner, and stepping over the guardrail was a year-old moose. And I came to a stop about, felt about a 100 feet away from the moose. And I looked at the moose and the moose was about as tall as I was, and the moose was looking back at me. And then the moose started making um, grunting at me, and started pawing the ground. (laughs) And I started thinking about what my options were because I I didn't think I'd be able to turn my bike around and pedal away from him before he could cross and be on top of me. And at that very moment, a car came around the corner from the opposite direction. The moose ran in front of the car. The car hit its brakes, almost hit the moose. The moose jumped over the guardrail and ran up the, up the hill and away from me. And it turned out that the people in the car were parents of some of the Boy Scouts who were at camp because I saw them again a couple of days later. And they looked at me and they said, didn't we see you next to a moose? <laughs> I, said, I looked at their car and I said, yes, you did. Thank you. So, So that is one of my funniest bicycling stories for you right there.
2: So has the moose continued to be a spirit animal
4: in your life? It has not I mean I certainly you know feel like a moose sometimes as well because I'm about six foot four and I'm a big gangly guy but um, I've continued to have interactions with wildlife. And so that's kind of been a theme for me is that I'm always intrigued to see what kind of wildlife I see when I'm on my bike. So there's been times when I've been riding next to white-tailed deer. You know, there's always squirrels. Gray squirrels are everywhere, and they're always running in front of me. When I was working up in Alaska as a bicycle tour guide, I got to ride next to caribou and then marmots as well. There was plenty of marmots and then bears, mostly black bears, but there was a couple of grizzlies in there as well. One of the times I was riding by a grizzly bear was actually I was um, on my mountain bike doing a race. I was part of a 24-hour mountain bike race in Whitehorse, Yukon. And uh, it's called 24 Hours of Light because the race is run during the middle of the summer. And so with the Arctic sun, it never actually gets dark. And so the rule is there's no lights on your bikes at night. Um, You have to ride all the laps without lights. And then you're encouraged during uh, from 10 p.m. until 6 a.m. You can get double lap points by riding naked. So I was riding naked at about 6 o'clock, 5 or, 5 or 6 a.m., and ran into um, a grizzly bear on the side of the trail. And so I came to a stop, and I looked at the bear, and I said, Hey, bear. And the bear looked at me and kind of did the, kind of did the sort of bark at me. And then the bear decided to amble away from the trail. And I was very thankful. And so I got back onto my bike and rode away and let the other racers know that there was bears about. But that wasn't uncommon for the, for the race. That was just part of what you did. So, so there's my bear story for you.
2: another thing we have in common. Though I'm always in clothes, I'm always like talking to the wildlife too. Like you said, "Hey bear," I'm like always like "Hey chipmunk," "Hey deer." Yeah, you know, Squirrel. it's like what? <laughs> yeah, what? What's up with that? Just like you just you just say "Hey" to these
4: wild animals. It's funny the way you do That and and I think that it's part of that's part of the reason that I ride my bike is so that I actually have the opportunity to do that because when I'm driving my car and I'm enclosed, I don't get the opportunity to interact with wildlife that way. Although actually, I do. We do see a fair amount of um, wild birds when we're driving um, on the bridges around here, and so I'll always be pointing out when I see pelicans and herons and ospreys to my mm. kids. We often get to check that out so I wouldn't say it's but it's it's a lot less frequent it's a lot less frequent in my car that I'll see wildlife whereas on my bike I get to enjoy it a lot more
2: yeah it's definitely one of the perks I went to Arizona a couple years ago and got roadrunners and prairie dogs so cool you know have a have a roadrunner run alongside you while you're on a bike there's something
4: I have not had that opportunity that would be pretty darn awesome did they meet Meep, just like the one from the cartoon?
2: It didn't, but it didn't not.
4: Okay. So. Well, that's see, it could have. I've run into coyotes on my on my bike as well, and had them uh, staring at me when it was I was up in the Yukon biking alone, and kind of had that moment of wondering like, what are the coyotes going to do? And there was one of them that wanted to play and and run alongside and. There was another one that was sitting next to it that was a little more leery. So they ended up just watching me ride by very slowly I was, as I was doing this bicycle tour up in the Yukon. So that was a pretty fun memory too.
2: Sometimes they're very friendly, they're magical moments. Once I got I got slapped by a bird that was flying past me it was kind of I like perpendicular that to too. the way I was going. Yeah, you got slapped by a bird.
4: Yeah, it felt kinda scaly. Yeah. When the uh when the feathers were rubbing against my skin it felt kinda scaly. And then I also had I ran into a pigeon once and I crashed. Oh I was going I was going under a um a railroad crossing. Uh so in Norfolk, uh Norfolk is a big railroad town. So the roads will go underneath the railroad tracks. And so they'll build these tunnels underneath the railroad tracks. So I was going through one of these, I was rushing to get to a group ride and I just, it was just after my birthday, my parents sent me in a new bike Jersey. And so I was riding in my new birthday Jersey. And as I was approaching the very bottom and I was going probably about 24, 25 miles an hour, I scared a pigeon that was in the middle of the road. And so the pigeon flew up straight towards me and whacked me in the shoulder and I twitched and then caught my tire in the seam of the road and oh, no. crashed. <laughs> and so I, and so I, I tore my brand-new bike jersey from my parents, my birthday present, and then I had a bruise on my shoulder in the shape of the bird's beak and head. Um, so I, I, I crashed off of a pigeon once.
2: That's something you can say you've done now.
4: Yeah, check that one off the bucket list just in case you had it on there.
2: Well, I really appreciate you sharing some stories with me today, and you've got your own show. You want to tell people about that?
4: Yeah, it's called Tell Me About Your Bike. You can find it at Com. It's also listed on all of the big podcast channels, so you'll find it on iTunes and Spotify and Apple Podcasts and Google Playlist and lots of good things like that, Stitcher as well. So uh, we're also on Instagram and Facebook, Tell Me About Your Bike. It's the... uh, podcast about the meaning of life the universe and bicycling so check it on out y'all
2: okay hey thanks a lot for being on the show
4: thank you tom take care
5: hey everybody it's eric from the new england builders ball the only hand-built bike show in Northeastern U.S., coming at you annually since 2011. And this year's show will be back in Boston on Saturday, October 17th. So check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and of course our website, newenglandbuildersball.com. We're living in strange days, and uh, the only way I'm staying sane is by getting on my bike every day. Before I do, I always do my ABC quick check. A is for air. I check the pressure in my tires, make sure that the tires are looking good too. B is for brakes. I always make sure my brakes are working. I check the pads for wear. C of course is for cranks and chain, the whole drivetrain actually, making sure that everything is clean and looking well aligned. The Q, the quick rather in ABC quick check is checking all the quick releases. A lot of bikes don't have quick releases. A lot of bikes have more than you'd expect, but make sure they're all turned down properly. And check is just check your whole bike, give it a good once over, make sure nothing looks out of place. That's your ABC quick check. That's gonna keep you healthy and safe while you're out getting your miles in during these strange days we're experiencing right now. And I do hope to see you at the New England Builder's Ball Saturday, October 17th, this year sponsored by Velo Orange
0: and Narragansett Brewery. Thanks, Eric, for telling us about the reschedule of the Builder's Ball and for doing the ABC Quick Check. I'm planning on being there so Bike Karma can represent. Come back with me to a time long ago in the golden age of American-made bicycles. Though they never really made their own complete bikes, New Departure from Bristol, Connecticut made a rear-wheel hub with a built-in coaster brake. These hubs were deluxe upgrades on many brands of the day. Many are still rideable and serviceable today over a hundred years later. Way back in 1919, before the internet, television, and even commercial radio, New Departure was marketing their superior bicycle hubs via the adventures of Billy Banning. Here at Bike Karma I found a copy of this promotional book and will bring you a chapter each episode until the saga is complete. So come back with me to 1919 when Billy Banning's life was forever changed by a bike with a very special rear wheel. Travel back through time to experience Billy's Bicycle Triumphs. So, I ordered this book off of eBay, and one night around dinner time, I came into the kitchen to find my wife reading and making commentary on this particular chapter. <laughs> so, I thought to kick it off, we'd have Liz Brown reading the first chapter. And she's graciously agreed. (laughs) Thank you, honey. Uh, She might be ad-libbing little parts uh, of it,
5: though.
6: There may be some editorializing. All right. Billy's bicycle triumphs. First triumph. New bicycle rids him of sickness. Come on, Billy, let's go swimming. Can't, said Billy dejectedly as he sat on the porch steps and watched the boys of the neighborhood spin by on their wheels. Billy Banning often envied his chums, most of whom had bicycles, for there was hardly a day when they did not have a lot of fun riding to some favorite spot. Of course, Billy, not having a bicycle, was cut out from all those excursions. Left without playmates, a lonesome boy indeed. There came a day, however, when a slight illness took a favorable turn for Billy. He had been sent home from school with a raging headache and put to bed by his mother. The family physician was called and, having prescribed, was about to leave when he glanced out the window and saw his own son, George, and a chum pass by at a good clip on their wheels. Turning to Billy's mother, he remarked, "'Do you know, Mrs. Banning, if I were you, I'd get Billy a bicycle.'" He's not very strong, and every little while, hard study brings on these headaches. If he could only get some real good exercise out in the open air, it would pour down his throat. My boy George was in the same bad way about a year ago. I remember what a doctor in Syracuse had told me about the good there was in the bicycle for growing boys. I bought George a wheel, and from the first week he rode, he began to improve. He is now strong and healthy as the best of them. Now this doctor should have done an eye exam to figure out why Billy's eyes were not working and giving him headaches during a good hard study, but that's okay. We went with the bicycle. <laughs> <laughs> He's just ridiculous. I mean, as a registered nurse, I have to say there's some other issues here that I, either has meningitis or he needs glasses. Yes, doctor, but I always thought that riding a bicycle is hard work. Mr. Banning rode when he was a boy, and he says it took all his strength and really hurt him. Now, that probably means his seat wasn't fitted right, and it hurt his balls, but that's okay. That's why Billy hasn't a bicycle. His father thinks it would be a great tax, especially if he is not particularly strong. Mr. Banning is quite right, replied the doctor. The bicycle years ago was all he says it was, but it's quite a different machine now, and I'll tell you why. Over in Bristol, Connecticut, several years ago, a hub mechanism was invented to go in the rear wheel that takes the hard work out of riding and makes cycling easy, refreshing, healthful, fun. Is that so? said Mother. And what is this invention? I know what it is, said Billy, whom you can imagine was listening with all of his ears to the conversation. He's talking about the new departure coaster brake. All the boys have it on their wheels and they say they can ride all day and not get the least bit tired. Then turning to his mother, he said, Oh, mother, I wish Dad would get me a bicycle. You know I have wanted one ever so long, and I'm sure it would do me a lot of good. You know, Harry Jones was not strong, and he used to have headaches more often than I do. But his big brother Charlie gave him a bike for Christmas, and he hasn't been riding for more than a week before his headaches stopped. When Dad comes home tonight, I'm going to tell him what you say, doctor, and I do hope he will take your advice. "'Well, we might try it anyway,' said Mother, smiling, "'for I'm sure Father would do anything to see you strong and well like the other boys.'" Billy had a little fever, and the doctor, fearing that a complication might set in that would mean a serious illness, called early the next morning, before Dad had left the house. He found Billy very much better. His father had agreed to get him a bicycle, and the boy was impatient to go out and buy it. I really believe, said the doctor, that your promise to Billy has more to do with his getting rid of his fever than my medicine. I shall be interested to know how the experiment turns out. He should not write a paper for the Lancet for this, because this is not not good. (laughs) This is not good at all. Okay. Bright and early the next morning, Billy went out with his father to visit the bicycle dealer downtown. After carefully inspecting the various wheels on display, they selected a handsome model. And you may be sure that the new departure coaster brake was part of its equipment, for Mr. Banning was told by the dealer that everything the doctor had said about this wonderful device was true, and then some. You can see, said the dealer, all of my stock is equipped with it. It has come to be as much a part of a real bicycle as the pneumatic tires or the handlebars. I never sell a wheel without it. The boys of the neighborhood were almost as pleased over Billy's new bike as was Billy himself. In less than a day, he had learned to ride and kept his balance. In another day, the boys taught him to mount easily and turn around, so that by the end of the week, Billy was enjoying rides with his schoolmates every day. The color began to return to his cheeks, the dullness was gone from his eyes, and his step was more sprightly about the house. I guess we didn't make any mistake in buying that wheel," said Dad to Mother one evening as Billy was giving evidence of a hearty appetite at the dinner table. It was not long before the headaches disappeared. Billy began to pick up in his studies and became a leader in his class. I mean, the bicycle turned Billy's life around. Without the bicycle, Billy for sure would have had to wear glasses and possibly would have had no friends. So He could have he could have died. What was the copyright on this book? 1919. So Billy made it through, this is relevant data for those of us living in COVID. Billy made it through the Spanish flu, only to be weak and sickly without a bicycle. He could survive a pandemic, but a childhood without a bicycle, he was no match for. So this, we should all invest right now because if anything, this bike tells us that, Bicycle stocks are going to go through the roof because we are in a pandemic also now. And in a year from now, weak little boys all over the country <laughs> will be requiring a bicycle.
0: <laughs> what about girls? I mean, there's no girls. There's no room in for
6: girls in this, in this book. There's this. First of all, this is a classic boys bike American style. Not that our folks, our friends in Europe would not, they would not feel this. But in America, we have to have... The ball buster bar on here. So only boys should be riding this bicycle. And, um... So his whole life got turned around. By this bike. I mean, it just makes you want to read the rest of the chapters. And that's only the first
0: chapter. That's it's only... only... his first triumph.
6: Mm-hmm. Billy has a second triumph. He has many triumphs. There will have to be more cocktails for me to read <laughs> the second triumph. Well, so they... no one's ever heard from... um Mrs. Bicycle Karma this whole time. But there's a reason. <laughs> I don't ride the bicycle. Um, it's crazy, right? But, so, um, so yeah. Ooh, Billy looks like he's going to the bank in the next one. He might be a grown-up. We're not sure. Ooh, you're teasing So the next I'm, episode. I'm doing a little tease for the next episode. But we, there's a lot here. There's a lot of social commentary.
0: And historical
6: perspective. And historical perspective. And it's not written from a... Feminist centered view at all. There's no. <laughs> it hurts me to read this, but, <laughs> but it's okay. We'll... Oh, he gets a. Oh, on page 14, okay. Mildred. Oh, there's a Mildred on page 14. I hope we get that far. I <laughs> hope we get that far too. I haven't flipped through the whole thing. I
0: will make sure we have the fuel to do that.
6: <laughs> okay. Alright, thank you All right.
0: very much, honey, for you. reading that dramatically, just like you did that night when I came <laughs> in and saw you at the kitchen table reading <laughs> this.
6: It was horrifying. Okay. Alright. Alright. That doctor should lose his license. <laughs> <laughs> He's
2: dead. He's, He's dead. dead.
6: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Alright. All right. Bye. Thanks. You're welcome.
3: Hi there everyone, Fred Thomas here, President of Rideable Inc, and the face, voice, and legs behind frame and wheel and AD bikes. Now if you were road racing or doing triathlons in the late 90s or early 2000s, you'd recognize an Aegis bike if you saw one. They were made out of this revolutionary new material called carbon fiber. They were light and they had colorful and distinctive custom finishes. Aegis was a sensation, a disruptor, and well ahead of its time. Now, last year, my company obtained the abandoned Aegis trademark and set up a division called Aegis Bikes. We reintroduced the brand to the market with the launch of the Victory Carbon, a road racing frame. You may have spotted the modern Victory at some rides or races around New England or on social media and wondered if it was the same Aegis. It's very much the same brand, but with a clean slate and perfectly poised to be reimagined for any segment of the cycling market. We are now looking for a partner to buy some or all of the Aegis Bikes division and bring the restoration of the brand to the next level. Aegis Bikes has an eBay store, a website, and an Instagram page already up and running. There are three Victory Carbon frame sets in the market, and the brand has 15 years of market recognition and a dedicated national following. Please visit the Aegis Bikes Instagram page to learn more about this exciting opportunity or reach out to me directly on social media. Thanks so much.
0: Well, we've reached the end of another episode of the Bike Karma Bicycle Stories podcast. I'd like to end the show by thanking Keller Glass and the band Mobjack for the excellent opening and closing theme music for the show. You can find more music from Mobjack at mobjackmusic.com or you can search up some of Keller Glass's newer work. The other music we use in the show is royalty free work, and I appreciate those musicians as well. A big thank you to David and Wesley and Liz and Eric for sharing on the show. A huge thank you to all the people around the world, over 60,000 downloads in over 60 countries. I really appreciate and sincerely humbled by the experience. But even having said all that, if you know Oprah, please let her know that I'm looking for her to be on the show, as well as Greg Lamont. If you have a question, comment, idea, or perhaps you have a product that might fit for sponsorship or support on the show, you can contact me on any of the social media or email me at bikekarmaguy at gmail.com. That's bikekarmaguy at gmail.com. Apart from the music and Billy's Bicycle Triumphs, the Bike Karma Bicycle Podcast is the intellectual property of Thomas Brown. All trademarks, copyright, and every other right is reserved and asserted. I have some amazing stories as always in the pipeline, so can't wait to get them out to you. But until next time, especially in these crazy days, be well and keep it wheeled.